Hello everybody, I'm Jim Muntz of Nicholson Dealer's Edge. Today's workshop topic is how to strap a rocket to your service department. 2017 is right around the corner and in the view of some, is shaping up to be a challenging year. Maybe even more so for the service department as more and more dealerships turn to fixed operations to make up for a lack in growth in the sales. If you've been in the auto business for more than 10 years or so, you're well aware of the fact that auto retailing is a cyclical business. Years of booming sales like those recently enjoyed are at some point always followed by periods of flat or falling sales. Today our job is not to worry or theorize about why that is or should be, but to understand that as the market softens, dealerships have unrelentingly turned to fixed operations to take up the slack. And that is your challenge. Our presenter today is a longtime and good friend of Dealer's Edge. Don Tipton has a lifetime of fixed operations experience and has spent the last 20 years as a management performance coach, helping dealerships improve service profits and the customer's experience. As you'll learn today, Don's endorsements often come directly from service managers who quickly recognize both his know-how and his winning personality. He's a valued coach and friend to many. Now, we're not planning for any Q&A today in order to preserve time. However, Don is more than willing to address any questions and will supply his email address at the end of the presentation. Watch for that slide and make sure to jot that down. And also jot down your questions as they come to you along the way. So now, with no further delay, here's Don Tipton. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate that. Um, this is Don Tipton, and welcome. Glad everybody's with us today. I will be uh, sharing some of my ideas with you on uh, how to strap a rocket to your service department. And uh, there's two key areas we're going to cover today. There's many more that exist in your operation, but we're going to stick to 10. And uh, the exciting thing about these is they're, they're right there in front of you. It's, a, it's really a matter of focus. And, you know, the old saying is what you focus on improves, and um, you probably have found that to be the case in your department over the years. The challenge is the service manager gets pulled in so many direct, different directions in the course of a day that um, the, uh, the focus gets lost in a lot of these areas. But hopefully after this presentation, it'll, it'll, uh, it'll let you refocus and um, spend some time on them because, as you'll see as we go through this, the upside is, is tremendous in the profitability of your department. So I've been around this, this game a long time, and I have uh, and I found that the improvement opportunities quite often are just overlooked. As I said, they're in front of us, and they're just often overlooked. And um, a lot of times my role when I'm working with service managers is to be a coach, is to, is to help them refocus and to help them to see opportunities that, um, they certainly understand it may not be uh, groundbreaking new ideas in a lot of cases. Probably in those cases, it's a matter of focus and attention and maybe even a little accountability um, involved in that. So here's just a few of the challenges service managers face today in the service department. There's, uh, there's a whole bunch more that to add to this list. So here's just a few. The, the top of the list, of course, is the availability of skilled and trained technicians as the factory continues to put, for most manufacturers, the factory continues to put more and more emphasis and more and more requirements in having these skilled technicians, and in some cases, holding your warranty claims hostage 
um, if, if you don't have the uh, qualifications or don't have the number of technicians. Apprentices and trainees are the other option, but they take a long time and, and are expensive to get up to speed and sometimes uh, just leave you and go to another store for a little, uh, little increase in hourly rate. With an increase in warranty coverage and goodwill, uh, an increase in warranty work, of course, comes with that. Uh, recalls for some manufacturers are just off the chart compared to just a few years ago. And, uh, you know, of course, the whole thing with availability of parts and this airbag situation for a lot of you has uh, put a lot of pressure. And you couple that with low warranty flat rate times. Uh, as this part of your business grows, we have the availability to turn fewer hours. And, of course, that doesn't uh, make for happy technicians. With that, the result can be too many carryovers and customers are waiting too long to get an appointment to get in the shop. And, and all too often, and this is the unfortunate consequence of this, is the customer pay work gets squeezed out. And it's not that you've lost that lucrative, profitable, high-rate type work. It's that they found other options uh, to have their car serviced and they remain there in the future. And that's the big loss, of course. So it leads to not having enough of those older, higher mileage vehicles in the service lane where we have an opportunity to recommend legitimate uh, additional work, generally at higher rates and, um, and higher flat rate times. So the service advisor selling skills. A lot of the service advisors just don't feel comfortable presenting these services in a lot of cases. When we have the opportunity, they're prejudging or using their buying decision um, uh, ethics, if you will, um, to, to disqualify a customer, not to qualify a customer. Uh, express service obviously is great as far as bringing traffic in. Sometimes it's difficult to make any profit at all in that area of the business, and that's certainly a challenge. And CSI, you tie us all together with that uh, CSI challenge hanging over our head where the money is, uh, a lot of money is attached to creating good, good scores in order to get that kickback, and um, it just... It just makes for a tremendous challenge for the service manager to pull it all together. So that being said, what's the plan? Um, you know, quite often, and I'm guilty of this in my retail life as well, the plan is to show up every morning, turn the lights on, make a pot of coffee, and hit the button that opens the overhead door. Um, and that's where the plan ended. So, you know, at, at opening time, it's show time, and there's no plan. So as a multi-million dollar business, which is what the service department are these days. In fact, I just um, spent some time forecasting a service operation, and we're forecasting for 2017 right at $5 million in revenue for the service department. So we're not talking just a few dollars here and there. It's a major multi-million dollar business. The light has to, the plan has to include more internal lights on. We have to have more of a game plan than that. And this is the biggest one. And everything I'm going to discuss in this presentation uh, really falls under the umbrella of this, and that's efficiently managing the service inventory, which, in in my opinion, is the most important inventory in the store. I'm sure there's some people that would argue that point, but what can't be argued is it's the most precious inventory in the store, and the reason for that is the service inventory is time. And at the end of the day, the service manager has no opportunity to sell that time the next day, unlike cars and trucks and parts. That inventory is lost at the end of the day. So everything we're going to discuss with these 10 keys today to strap a rocket to your service department really comes under the umbrella of efficiently managing the service inventory. 
So let's look at the let's look at the first five. Current production potential. Okay, so it's difficult to hire techs. You need techs. You want to grow techs, apprentices. But in the meantime, business has to continue on. We have to live with the day to day. So let's let's look at the opportunities that are right in front of us, and see if we can maybe get some more hours, squeeze another tenth or two or, or more out of our techs that we currently have. Controlling the cost of hour, cost per hour. That's just getting the effective cost per hour down, so we have a little more margin uh, for gross profit. Work and process and adjustment to cost of labor. Generally, huge write-offs in these areas. We're going to dig into that just a little bit today. And, and it's really misunderstood in a lot of cases and talk about what we can do there. Maybe save some money. Budget service advisor income. It's not about giving the service advisors a reduction in pay. It's not about cutting their pay. It's about having their pay tied to performance of the department. So everybody wins. We'll talk about that. Customer satisfaction. Really, what we're after here, of course, is customer retention uh, to keep customers coming back, which leads into number seven, growing customer pay traffic. We need to focus on keeping the ones we have and, and then go out and get new customers that we have opportunity to sell services to, which leads into number eight, improving the value for repair order. Uh, this one had to be part of the 10. You knew it was coming, <laughs> so I didn't want to disappoint. We're going to talk about ways to improve the value for repair order and how much it means to you. Uh, production forecast. You know, we start every day when we open the doors and turn the lights on um, with our goal. Not only do we not have a plan, but we don't have a goal. And with the goal, we have a business plan that backs it up. And it really starts with this production forecast and having a goal set. And then to pull this all off, the manager has to become a coach. And, um, you know, you manage things, you coach people, and, and we'll talk about the benefits of, of the manager becoming a coach. So the first opportunity is actually broken down into three parts. The first part is technician schedule efficiency. And, and I have to tell you, this one is almost always taken for granted and overlooked, almost always. Um, we really don't pay a lot of attention to this, but, but this, this is an area that's a tremendous opportunity. It's over $100,000, as you'll see. Technician schedule efficiency is the amount of time the technician should be on site versus the actual amount of hours the technician is actually on site. So just arriving 15 minutes late in the morning and leaving 15 minutes early in the afternoon is a half hour per tech times a 12 tech shop, which is an example I'm going to use throughout this presentation. With a $90 effective rate, 269 working days a year, and 70% labor gross profit margin, plug your numbers in, yours may be much higher than this, is over $100,000 in just 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the afternoon. Now, this has nothing to do with how much time they lose once they get on site. This is just how much it's costing us when they're not on site, just a half hour a day. Huge opportunity. Technician productivity. Technician productivity in this definition, the true definition, is the amount of time the technician is actually clocked on repair lines, repair lines versus the actual hours on site. And this is not relative to flat rate time. This definition is not relative to flat rate time. So the technician is on site for seven and a half hours a day, but is actually only punched on jobs for six and a half hours a day. Now, the interesting thing is I have a worksheet that I, uh, that I use in some of my training and some of my classes that shows on an average day, the average technician loses about 2.8 hours a day. Well, as an example, I just went through this presentation with a group of eight service managers in the room who did not believe my 2.8 hours was an accurate number. 
I said, okay, let's put mine aside. Let's use yours. So I went around the room with each technician, and we talked about areas that a technician loses tenths of an hour, one-tenth, three-tenths, two-tenths, whatever, in these areas during the course of a day, typically. When I averaged out the eight service managers' times, they came up, their times totaled 3.4 hours. All of a sudden, my 2.8 hours didn't seem too bad. So this is really something to take a look at in your store. For my example, as part of this presentation, I'm only going to use one hour. I'm obviously very conservative in this number. This is only one hour per day, but a technician actually loses by not working on something. Okay? Again, a 12-technician shop, that's over $200,000 in potential labor growth just by, by finding out what distracts them and what's pulling them away from being clocked on jobs. Tech efficiency, on the other hand, is how fast they complete the job once they're punched on the job. It's technician time clocked on the job or lines on a repair order versus the actual flat rate hours for that job that the job pay. So six and a half hours on jobs at 90% efficiency, okay, we lose another 0.65 during the course of the day, okay? So that equates to another $132,000. If we can find a way, and this one may even be the most difficult one of all to address, this could be skill, um, it could be just the nature of the technician. Some are really, really thorough in what they do, and they triple-check their work. And So this one's really difficult to address, granted. Um, but $100,000 potential in a 12-technician shop is worth the investigation. So we have schedule efficiency, productivity, and technician efficiency. Um, we've got a lot of money in just those three categories in the first opportunity. Opportunity number two is controlling the cost per hour. And by controlling the cost per hour, I certainly don't mean you go out in the shop and tell everybody you're going to cut their rate of pay. That's a good way to help fill somebody else's shop with technicians. Uh, what, what I'm after here, look at some of the options that maybe can help you with your cost per hour. And keep in mind, the effective cost per hour is the calculation of both production of the individual techs and their rate. It is not a straight line average of just how many techs you have and their hourly rate. Um, a, higher, a higher rate per hour tech that produces a lot of hours will bring your effective cost up. A lower pay tech at a lower cost per hour will bring your rate down, your effective cost down. So um, keep in mind that when you, when you go through this calculation. A few options here that you can do. There's obviously increased production by those lower rate techs to bring that cost down. You can look into and most uh, DMS systems allow you to set up taste uh, pay codes or pay rates by skill level of the jobs, an A, B, C, D skill level, A being the highest as an example. Um, and then when a tech does C-level work, he gets a C-level rate. So it takes a lot of, it's not something you just turn on. This takes a lot of backing into and historical data to arrive at a fair A, B, C, D rate that's fair to the tech. Obviously, in, in really to be fair to the tech, it probably needs to be an increase to the tech. And to be fair to the to the company, that the dealership that over time we have better control over our cost. So even initially our cost power may go up over time, it'll be better in control. We'll have better control over it. Or it may just be flat. It may not be a decrease. That's that's an option. Flat costing on some competitive and maintenance operations. Most DMSs will allow you to put in a flat cost for an oil change, for mountain balance tires, for rotate tires, for an alignment, whatever the case may be, where you can assign a flat cost regardless of the tax pay rate, it overrides the tax pay rate, and every job is costed at that amount. 
Um, so, give you an example. 12 technicians, again, at 90%, if we can reduce the cost just 50 cents per hour, the effective cost on 12 technician shop, just 50 cents an hour, it's over $9,000 in additional gross profit. Generally, I'm not real keen on trying to save our way into profit. This is an area that has to be looked at. Um, and if we can make a little bit of improvement there, let's go for it without uh, any collateral damage and, and obviously losing technicians. So in one, one area you have to be careful of that, that comes up quite often is dispatching work around the availability of a low-cost technician, such as an oil change. It could be a four or five line item repair order, and then the vehicle has to move from a line tech over to an oil change tech. Uh, sometimes you lose more in productivity and shuffling the vehicle around than you gain in trying to control the cost by moving the vehicle. So just keep that in mind. Opportunity number three is work in process. Well, the work in process is labor at cost paid to technicians on open repair orders. It's kind of like parts inventory. We buy parts from the manufacturer, we put them on the shelf until we sell them to somebody. That's generally what work in process is. We bought the hours from the tech, we put them on the shelf, and that shelf happens to be a repair order. And it sits on that shelf until such time as we sell it to somebody, and that selling to somebody is closing the repair order. And it should reflect vehicles in the shop or on the lot, okay? The working process in your open repair order report ought to be almost identical. There will be some exceptions here and there, I understand. But generally, your working process and open repair orders ought to be really, really close. You should be able to take your open repair order report and walk the lot and lay a hand on a hood. And if you can't lay a hand on a, on a hood in your lot or in your shop, then why is it an open repair order? Where's the vehicle? You just lost your collateral. There's a huge risk for write-off in this area. It's, it's Service advisors, unfortunately, come and go. Memories fade. Um, this, this area ends up in a, in a policy account at some point because it gets so old, there's nothing else to do with it but write it off. Um, it's often overlooked or a low priority until it gets so big that um, we have to address it. It's, it's misunderstood in a lot of cases, but it can be one of the most costly areas. I cannot assign a figure to this, but obviously it varies from shop to shop. Some are very clean, some not so much with their open repair orders and work in process. Another area that's very similar to that as far as write-offs is the adjustment of cost of labor or unapplied time, depending on your manufacturer. This should reflect monthly work and process reconciliation, guarantees, tech bonuses, those types of things. Um, if you have hourly rate techs that you set up as flat rate and back them up with the clock, the difference would go into this, uh, into this category. And goodwill adjustments quite often are put into this. It's not policy, it's just goodwill adjustments will go into this, um, this category as well. Um, I see thousands of dollars in stores that are, um, the gross profit is negatively adjusted monthly sometimes four, five, six thousand dollars a month, and it's just it's just accepted instead of being investigated. Um, I would strongly recommend that that account be detailed and let's determine the source of it because it may lead back to something that's a continuing issue that we can address and maybe fix very easily and stop the write-offs. Opportunity number five is budgeting that service advisor income I mentioned. Again, this is not about cutting pay. This is not about uh, saving our way into a profit. This is about creating a win-win for the advisor, which is that frontline person, really important person to our future, and the department winning together. 
Uh, and it should be based on a production objective, which we're going to talk about here shortly, so that everybody has the same goal and everybody wins together. Um, we need to keep it simple. We need to be able to go to a calculator before payday and run the numbers um, and know what their, their, their paycheck's going to be on Friday or whatever the payday is. It should be easy to track and measure. Either they can do it on the DMS or a, re a report can be printed and provided to them. And if you add additional service advisors, then they feel the burden of the pie getting cut into a smaller slice, not just the department. And if you're paying out of a pool, and particularly if that pool has no objective, it's not tied to a certain performance of the department, whether it be a gross profit or net profit goal, then um, all that happens in a lot of cases when you add additional staff is everybody does less, nothing gets stepped up and done any better, and the department just took uh, some profit off the bottom line. So when you, when you add an advisor, the pay plan should be designed so that they feel the impact out of also, and what should happen is they don't want to take a pay cut, so they step it up, and when they step it up, that usually means that hours per repair order improve. I generally use a budget of no more than 15% of department gross profit, and if you're in one of those franchises that has parts transfer, this is only uh, labor gross I'm referring to. 15% of gross profit is the budget. Whether you have one advisor or 21 advisors, keep it under 15. Doesn't mean you have to spend all 15. Just keep it under 15. A lot of stores operate very efficiently at 12 and 13%. So in this example, in a 12 technician shop, just 2% over budget is $22,000 a year. Um, so it adds up, and uh, it's an important part of structuring your department. Customer satisfaction, and the reason the money bag there is because of the money bag that a lot of the manufacturers hold over your head with uh, hitting certain numbers to to um, get the uh, get the kickback to get the reimbursement. So um, it's a pretty important number, and um, you know those those surveys. Uh, the the old saying is if you uh, want to find out how to run your business, ask your customers, and um, those surveys. Are, are a good indication of what customers expect and, and how we perform. So what you're looking for in these, in these surveys or phone calls or all of these things when we reach out to customers, this consistency in an area that maybe we should address. It's not what we think, it's what they think. And sometimes we have to get out of our, out of our role, get out of our department, get out of our dealership with our head, with our mindset, and think like a customer. And, and look at it from the customer's point of view. Because when it's all said and done, that's really all that matters anyway. So customer expectations, we need to stay in control of, such as how much and by when. Those are the two things every customer that comes into service lane wants an answer to at write-up. And um, you're really in hard, sometimes hard-pressed to address those two um, questions to the customer adequately unless you have a crystal ball and can see the future, which most of us don't. How much, obviously, could be a diag charge. The by when could be a status update, um, and, and we do a very inconsistent job in that area is my finding. We really need to focus on staying in control of customer expectations instead of allowing the customer to set the expectations by using word tracks such as, when would you like your car back? When would you like to bring it in? Um, those are all said with good intentions, but we have now passed the ball over to the customer, and the customer is now in control and running offense. Performing day and arrival time, obviously, staying so we can spread out our workload, 
and, and tell them what to expect, who to see when they get there, where to go, maybe it's their first time on site. Uh, let's create or try to create the best first impression we can. And as I mentioned just a minute ago, the status updates, biggest, biggest concern, biggest complaint customers have about new car dealership service department is they don't talk to me. They don't call me. They don't tell me what's going on. The only way I find out what's going on is to call the service department. And because a lot of them have voicemail, it goes to voicemail. Uh, in some cases, needlessly goes to voicemail. Um, and then the service advisor will call back when or if he or she has time. In a lot of cases, the customer is making repeated calls because they don't feel confident they're ever going to get a return call. So the phone call cycle just grows and grows and grows. And then the complaint you hear from the service lane is we're overwhelmed with phone calls. Um, a lot of those phone calls could be eliminated just by being proactive and contacting the customer and setting the next contact time and the next contact time and then finally setting the delivery time so you're staying in control of expectations. I mentioned earlier lack of selling skills by service advisor. It's really not even about selling skills. It's about building value in what we're doing or what we're recommending to the customer and uh, building up to the price as opposed to giving the price and then trying to justify the price or saying things using word tracks such as, I know that's expensive, but I know that's a lot of money, but, um, and if you're the professional and feel that way, what is the customer supposed to think? So maybe it's the word tracks and training here that helps us stay in control as much as possible so we get a chance to exceed expectations more consistently. Um, obviously, delivery experience is important because that's the last contact the customer has before they before they leave your facility. And ESI before CSI means employee satisfaction before customer satisfaction. And that means we need to have happy employees because happy employees take care and make happy customers. And the 12 essentials to an employee's success is what I should say my 12 essentials um, that I've designed for an, to an employee's success will be part of uh, uh, an information or opportunity package you so desire that we can send to you and um, it really just goes through 12 critical areas that a manager as a coach should be looking at and, and performing and doing when it comes to making his or her people a success. And after all, isn't that what a manager or a coach does, is they make their people a success. Opportunity number seven is growing that customer pay traffic. I know easier said than done. Again, what you focus on will improve, and this, this is no exception. You focus on this area and, and give it some of your day with some planning, um, you, can, you can grow this. And maybe it's one RO a day or maybe it's even less than that. Maybe it's uh, you know, two ROs a week or whatever. But over time, you can grow this traffic. There are some resources here. That's where we are today with the higher quality vehicles, longer maintenance cycles, increased warranty coverage, manufacturing coverage, maintenance, and all this. We don't have the opportunities that we have. And so, you know, with 2.6 service visits a year on average, it takes at least two customers now in your service lane and maybe more, depending on the franchise, at least two customers in your service lane to equal the income that one used to provide for you because we just don't have the opportunity. They don't break as much. The maintenance is uh, pretty much gone. And a lot of uh, long-term maintenance, 100,000 miles, spark plugs and coolant, maybe in some cases, no transmission services ever. So in order to not just become a warranty station, we have to have a plan. And part of that plan is to chase this out of warranty customer pay traffic. And it starts with retaining the ones you have um, and then 
looking for other opportunities as, as we see here. And the first thing you need to look is that your customer pay RO count over the last three years. And, and, and be sure you have good numbers here. If you're opening an RO, a special order apart, and you close it, there's no charge, and it's customer pay account. So you want to make sure you're looking at good numbers here. Um, if you're using the multiple inspection line as a customer pay line, and it's a warranty RO, then that's going to count as a customer pay RO for most DMS systems, most DMSs out there. So know what numbers you're looking at, but you want, really want some good data here where you can look at the last three years, the trend of the last three years, and is your customer pay count growing flat or shrinking? And if it's doing anything but growing, we should we should be concerned. If it's flat, we should be concerned. If it's shrinking, we should be concerned. And also trend the customer pay flat rate hours to go with that and kind of look at them side by side. Where is our retail business going? Where are we heading? And then you can break it down a little further. In a lot of systems, you can go in with some special reports and options and build a report that will give you um, repair order count and value of the repair order parts and labor by model year. And what you're after here is to try to find the sweet spot. Where's the most money being made? Is it that six-year-old vehicle, the seven-year-old vehicle? Generally, what you'll see is the RO counts will peak out, you know, and that's in that five, six, or seven, the RO counts will actually start to decline after four years, but they'll peak and then they'll fall off a cliff. Um, and the, but the value per repair order increases. So at the same time that our RO count declines, the value per repair order increases. We need to know where that sweet spot is and then target those, those customers that are in your database. Let's find a way to get them back. Why did they leave us? And let's go after them. Instead of doing a shotgun approach to marketing, which is very expensive, um, and unfortunately, in many cases, we're not tracking the results of anyway. We really don't know how effective the campaign was. Maybe we need to take a rifle and do a rifle approach, get more aggressive with the hooks, with the marketing hooks, the advertising hooks to get them on site. That's the risk is less and uh, measure the results. I, I usually set a budget of 4% of customer pay labor sales. You, you know, feel free to use your 20 group benchmarks or whatever you've used in the past, but there should be a budget so you can spend the money efficiently and not just, not just uh, to blow the money with no results. You want to target to you before that sweet spot and start getting those customers to stay before they fall off. And you got to remember some of your budget, some of your budget should be out of your DMS. You can't keep farming the same ground over and over and over again. At some point we've got to get out of the market. And this is where it, this is where it gets expensive pretty quickly. Um, and the results generally fall off pretty quickly as well, but you've got to get outside of your database with something, um, with some kind of Valpac or, or something that can, um, you know, publications or whatever that can bring in and give some awareness to your service department that you're really not high priced or inconvenient and that there are advantages to having uh, the vehicle service at your, your service department. So you, you got to set aside some of the budget outside of your DMS. You can go after those used vehicle buyers. You know, they're generally the lowest loyalty rate once they leave our uh, lot, once they take delivery and leave. Um, we want those back too. And even if they're not our, our brand, even if they're not our uh, manufacturer, uh, we can certainly change oil and put brakes and tires on anything. Uh, generally, dealerships do a poor job from the service department reaching out to the used vehicle buyer after delivery and getting them in. Some do a very good job with retention programs like 
uh, free oil changes or maintenance, uh, some kind of maintenance coupons or programs. But we've got to chase those people um, and get those customers back. Identify and contact those missing in action customers, the one you haven't seen in uh, nine months and 12 months and 18 months. And with each level, you can get more aggressive with your marketing. You can get more aggressive with the hooks that, to bring them back, your, your, um, your incentives for them to come back. Most of us today have an express service operation of some kind. It just needs to be efficient. And by efficient, I mean not just timely, which is important, but quality. We're actually putting the lug nuts back on and putting oil back in the engine. And, and the biggest challenge of all is actually doing what we tell the customers we're doing, and that is a quality inspection that the vehicle is safe to drive and doesn't need anything. They're counting on us to do that in a lot of cases where it under such time constraints and we're, we're using the lowest skilled technicians to perform this function that an efficient express service operation uh, is hard to pull off. Make sure you're competitive. Check your competitive operations. Have somebody mystery shop non-dealers, not just dealers, non-dealers in your area and see how we, we match up. You're probably in pretty good shape there, but the perception in the customer's mind is that you're higher, and you may not be. But if you are, you might need to adjust your price. And I'm a big believer in, as far as competitive operations, your standard diag charge must be one of those operations. I get a lot of pushback on that one. Um, but you have a customer with an eight, nine-year-old vehicle with a check engine light on, calling in, and it's $109 to hook up the scan tool, the scan tool to pull a code, um, you know, they may think that in their mind, $109 to pull a code or $109 to tell me what's wrong with it, I don't know if I can afford to have you fix it. So again, think like the customer. And what they may do is shop around in a lot of cases. They'll say, I'll call you back. We really don't know how many of those we lose. And I hear service managers say, we don't lose many. Well, you don't know. There's really no measurement there other than some impression that you might get from your service advisor. Take a look at your standard diag. I don't think it should be free. Free has no value. And I think you end up with a lot of baggage if you offer free or no charge. They should have a charge, but be competitive. Get them on site because once you get them on site, you now have options. Now you have options. If they hang up and say, I'll call you back and they start shopping around, you've just lost all your options. Take a look at that. Take a strong look at that at your store and see if it might help grow that customer pay traffic. Hours and days of operation, most of us today are, um, are bell to bell, six days a week. But just take a look, see what's going on in your market. And, of course, don't keep your services a secret like you have shuttle service and loaners and rentals and a lot of things that the independents can't provide or won't provide. So don't be afraid to toot your horn. Opportunity number eight, improving the value per repair order. Now, I mean, this is a daily, this is a daily struggle. This is a daily focus, and um, it, it's not you're not going to make a huge overnight. There's no magic here. There's no, nothing that's going to make you uh, get, get you a half hour more per repair order overnight. It's an ongoing thing. It's a daily function, um, and it's not a, there's a lot of pieces in this particular uh, area of opportunity. The first one is really important. Customers buying decision improves with relationship based on trust. If they trust your service advisor and they have built a relationship, um, it's a lot easier to recommend something to the customer because they have confidence in what's being presented to them. They feel comfortable with the guy or gal that's making that presentation. So that's the first moving part of this is to create that relationship with the customer. Most under, underutilized resource we have in the service department, in my opinion, 
is right in our DMS. It's right in that box. It's not in a shoebox anymore with, with car, uh, index cards. It's actually computerized, and it's called vehicle service history. And generally when it gets used is when we have a comeback. Proactive use of vehicle service history is a very credible way of recommending services to a customer that they're due for that they either have not have done in the past or have declined in the past. And it's a very personalized way of presenting additional services. And these presentations can be made in write-up. One of the things that's happened to us over the years with the emphasis on the multi-point inspection is the service advisors have become order takers only and, uh, and wait for the technicians to bring up everything. Um, and granted, there's only so much the advisors can do. They don't have x-ray vision. They can't see the brakes while the vehicle's in the service lane. They can't see this leaking of the ball joints. They can't see those things. I, I got you. But there are some recommended services that the customer's vehicle should be due for in a lot of cases. Uh, alignments are an easy one. Look back at service history and make presentations at write-up. Not all the presentations have to come from the shop. You don't want to spend all their money at write-up either, of course. Utilize the professional road to the sale. Just like up in the showroom floor, the salespeople generally, and they're brought in as rookies, are taught a road to the sale. Our service advisors should be taught and, and expected to use a road to the sale. Why? Because it works. It's consistent. Everybody's presenting the same way. You can personalize it to the individual. They can do their own, their own personal stamp on that. But the, the steps in the road to, to the sale should be the same. But you have to create one, you have to train on it, and you have to hold them accountable for it. A lot of the, a lot of the things that, that I do when I work with my stores is coaching in this area on, on utilizing, developing and utilizing a road to the sale. And it, it, it does work, and it even works for those senior advisors that don't feel like they need to do it anymore because they're past that point. Ask permission to perform the multiple inspection. Uh, this is a big one. And uh, as far, instead of automatically doing it, on every vehicle, and then maybe coming back with some presentations that the customer didn't expect because they didn't even know we were looking in a lot of cases at their vehicle for uh, other items. By asking permission, we're looking, we found items, and now we're reporting. We're not selling, we're reporting back. You gave us permission, we did, we looked, we found it, and this is what I found. We're reporting it back to you. It's a whole different mindset to the customer, and, and your closing ratio on recommendations from the multipoint will improve just by asking permission. And there's other areas in this in that multi-point inspection process that should be looked at as well, but this is a big one. Must have a comprehensive inspection process followed by all technicians, not just what they like to do versus what they don't like to do. So if they like to do this service, they'll recommend it every time, maybe in some cases even if it's not due or not ready or not required. But the services that they don't like to do which may be even more important, but because they don't like to do that particular operation, um, they uh, or don't have the skill to do it, maybe in some cases, it never makes it to the customer. And we owe it to the customer regardless whether you like to do it or have the skill to do it. The, the inspections need to be consistent uh, to the customer, and that is a, a process teaching and coaching situation where maybe we even have mystery vehicles in the shop and we set them up. It's that important to make sure that everybody's on the same page. And this one's been, this last bullet point's been around for a long time, but I still have all the, all the managers that I work with um, and, and that I coach with, I, I believe it's one of the biggest functions they can do on a daily basis is a daily felt to prepare order review. It's been around a long time. I didn't invent it. I did it as a retail manager. I tell you, it's the, it's the single best management tool short of walking the sidelines 
that a service manager can perform every day by looking at the repair orders and seeing the opportunities, the missed opportunity, the quality of the write-up. Um, it'll it'll give you it'll give you um, an opportunity to address individual service advisors in areas that they need to improve. Controlling the schedule, as I, meant, as I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, so we have time to do the things we want to advise them to do with the customer and not try to avoid that morning rush and, and not say things like, when would you like to bring it in or bring it in first thing in the morning or whatever the case may be. Change our work tracks. Determine the work mix. So if you're targeting a, a, a customer effective labor rate, you have to know how to set or what to set your default labor rate at. Um, in order to achieve the desired customer effective rate. Otherwise, you're really shooting in the dark. And the only way you can do that is determine what the work mix is. How much of the low-end competitive work you're doing versus how much of the high-end repair work you're doing because that mix has a huge impact on what your default rate should be, whether you're using a grid or whether you're using variable labor rates or you're using a single default rate. The work mix is important. And I've included an example of that in this packet that I mentioned earlier, this opportunity packet that we can send to you. You should have a written job pricing policy that applies to not just the service advisors, but in my example, all 12 technicians. Um, in a lot of cases, we'll have 12 technicians pricing the same job on the same vehicle 12 different ways, all depending on how their week's going or how their pay period's going or what they feel like doing or don't feel like doing. So we need a consistent pricing policy so everybody's on the same page. But in a lot of cases, we're leaving money on the table, or maybe in some other cases, we may be um, overcharging or you know taking advantage of customers. So we want consistency there. Look at your opcodes. We build opcodes in the system, and over time they get stale. Maybe it's time to run an opcode report and take a look at updating some of these opcodes. Maybe a few dollars here or there on a frequently used operation uh, makes a big impact over a month's period of time. Inspect your sale price, labor rate or flat rate time overrides. Um, how easy is it for the advisor to try to give the job away or make changes um, to the pricing of the jobs? And compare the effective rate and hours per repair order by my service advisors. If they're side by side writing the same customer base, they're not a specialty uh, service advisor writing only medium duty trucks or writing only quick lane or express service operations. If they have the same job function, why would there be a big difference in the effective rate or hours per repair order on two service advisors standing side by side. And this is where the work mix comes in. And this is where your daily R review comes in because now you can, now you can determine why and approach the service advisor that, that needs some help to get those numbers up. Not by selling anybody anything they don't need, not by not writing the low end work so that the numbers come up by default, but by doing the right thing and letting the numbers fall where they may. Compare effective labor rates by service advisor. Be careful of paying them. This is a, this is a common um, situation in stores out there to drive the numbers up is to pay or spiff on effective rate and hours per repair order. And be careful what you ask for <laughs> because you just might get it. Uh, again, they may send that low-end work away to drive their numbers up, or they may have to pick up the phone when they see a new model vehicle coming to service lane because there's no opportunity there, or they decide that's the time to go to the bathroom to get a cup of coffee. Or, so you got to be careful what you ask for here because you might get it. It's how they get it that's important. And um, you really have to look into that. And, again, that's why that oral survey can come in handy, the daily filter review. 
So, improved value for repair order. Most of you sitting in on this um, are fully aware of, of what a two or three in, uh, two or three tenths increase in, in hours per repair order can do. But in my example, in this 12 technician shop, it's $158,000 in uh, three tenths per customer pay repair order. And if we can improve the customer effective rate by a dollar, it's another $14,000 on top of that. So as we go through these opportunities, you can see they just start stacking on top of each other. And this example is uh, that I have here is the production forecast for the year. Uh, maybe a little small, but I have this as part of the uh, information that, that I'll send you. Um, it's a sample uh, annual production forecast where we're by month by month, we're looking at the working days, the number of techs, the, the productivity, the effective rate, and so forth, and kind of plan the year on adding techs as the year goes on maybe or improving the productivity of the techs as the year goes on or getting the warranty rate increase as the year progresses or raising our customer effective rate. So you can kind of map out the year. And the amazing thing about uh, setting down and doing this production forecast is it seems to find a way to happen. Um, it's amazing sometimes how close the actual numbers can come to this forecast, which you, at the end of the year for the next year, you may have thought was a, uh, was a pipe dream. Well, you got to know what it takes. If, if you're not hitting the profit objective, that your general manager, your dealer, your owner wants you to hit, then we need to start by determining what it takes. What's the flat rate uh, production required? How many techs do we need? Uh, how many customer pay repairs required to hit that number? Because if you're going to have growth, you need more hours, probably not going to sell warranty. You probably need to grow, and it's probably going to come from the customer pay portion of your business. So how many additional customer pay ROs do we need and or hours per repair order or combination of the two? And a forecast must be supported with the business plan. Just numbers on the paper are not enough. We have to have a plan that's going to back up putting the, getting, making those numbers happen. But it's a start. The production forecast is a great start. And it's not just 10% over last year. Don't think about a percentage of increase. Just think about what we can do. And it needs to be a stretch goal, not a budget. And this is a big one. This, the guys and gals I work with out there, these service managers and service directors are great people. They're hardworking people. And as my dad told me when I, when I was in the, got in the car business full-time, and he was, he was in the business full-time, um, so I grew up in a dealership as a child. So when I became full-time, he said, look, all I'm going to ask you to do is work half a day. Half a day? I said, that sounds pretty good to me. Now, I didn't know he meant 12 hours out of a 24-hour day. But that's what he meant by half a day. And that's what most of our service managers seem to be doing. They're putting in long days, 11 and 12 hour days in some cases, sometimes six days a week. Um, and they're, they're fighting a lot of alligators in the swamp at the same time. But a lot, of, a lot of those alligators and a lot of that time and stress can change if the manager becomes a leader and becomes a coach. As I said at the beginning of this presentation, you manage things, you manage data, and you coach people. And, and, and a lot of service managers don't uh, think of it that way. doesn't mean they're not good at it or couldn't be good at it or don't think it's important. They just haven't really given it much thought. But what a good manager does is that MBWA, manage by wandering around, walking the sideline, observing coaching opportunities where it can be addressed immediately, not in front of a customer, but you pull the employee aside and you, and you talk about the situation that just happened or what should have happened that didn't happen. And it could be as simple as a vehicle walk-around. It could be as simple as providing the customer a business card with a status time written on the back. 
it could be little things, but if you don't get out of your office and you don't walk the sidelines, particularly during your peak times in the service lane, um, you're not going to see these things. And then if you do see them and you don't address them, it, it's actually worse. You may as well stay in the office because now it's okay. You've given your blessing. So if you observe it and don't address it immediately, it's actually going to create a worse situation because now it's okay. The boss saw it. There was no consequence. Everything's okay, which kind of ties into the 12 essentials that I will send you to an employee's success I mentioned earlier. Again, counsel on a daily felt, uh, repair order felt tip review. And if you have an employee, and as a manager, I always believe as a manager and now as a consultant or a coach or a trainer in my role now, that my job in both those and all those roles, whether it be an outsider or a retail manager, is to make my staff successful. That's what I do. When they're successful, I'm successful. So if you have an employee that's not performing as a coach, you need to determine is it a knowing situation or a doing situation. And you always address the knowing situation first. You've got to address the knowing. Maybe they don't know. Maybe we haven't trained properly. Maybe we don't have our processes clearly defined. You've got to address the knowing. You've got to eliminate the knowing. And once you eliminate the knowing and it's still not happening, you can address the doing. They now know how to do it. They've decided they're not going to do it. And you, as a manager, as a coach, you address that situation differently. And at some point, unfortunately, there may be a fatality, and you may have to trade that player to another team. Um, that's easy to do. It's easy to create turnover. It's much harder but much more satisfying and beneficial long-term to make them a success. you got to identify and address those situations. So I took six of the areas of opportunity. We had ten. I took six, schedule efficiency, technician productivity, technician efficiency, cost per hour, three-tenths in uh, increase in customer pay RO and a dollar effective rate, and the total opportunity on 269 working day year, which is pretty much what 2017 is, depending on how you count Saturdays. So this is pretty dialed into what's coming next year, is over $600,000, over $600,000 before we factor in the related part sales that would happen because of this. So um, it could easily, easily be over a million dollars, depending on your partial labor ratio. So $600,000 is worth spending some time on. $600,000 is worth investing um, your time and effort and focus to get part of it, to get half of it. Um, it's there, and, and this isn't rocket science, it's a matter of focus, it's a matter of coaching, it's a matter of uh, accountability, and it's staying on task. And again, service managers and service directors struggle with that because of being pulled in so many different directions. Um, and you know, general managers and dealers have, have other priorities than just the service department, um, so they get pulled in different directions. So a lot of times these opportunities are right there. It's just that uh, we don't um, spend the time. And I know a lot of the cases in... The, uh, the stores I've worked with over the years, it's just a manager, uh, a manager, uh, a matter of refocusing, getting, getting refocused. Oh yeah, I need to get back on that. We got all, oh, it was working and it worked so well, we stopped doing it. I got to get back on that. And, um, and that's where a lot of success comes from with the people like these that I've included in this presentation. I'm not, I won't read these to you, but these are some comments from some of the professionals that I've had the privilege of working with over the years. And what I really like about these comments and more that uh, certainly I haven't included is that most of them are from service managers and service directors. 
which to me is quite a compliment because I'm not there to interfere with their world. I'm not there to um, show their weaknesses. I'm there to help them be a success. And so when I get these nice comments from the service managers and service directors, it's because we have a relationship that's based on us achieving common goals, and that is their success makes me successful and keeps me doing what I like to do. So the opportunity packet will include the 12 essentials to an employee's success that I mentioned earlier, a sample production forecast, just a uh, very basic process review. And the, and the point of the process review would be for you just to kind of self-examine yourself and see if some of these things are happening um, that you think are happening or maybe not even part of your, of your customer handling process. Labor sales requirement form to determine uh, what kind of labor sales are required to hit a certain profit objective. The technician contribution to that requirement, each, how many techs you have to have to make that happen. My example of the 2.8 hours of lost time we lose every day. Um, in some cases, it's more than that, but it'll get the thought processes going for you. And then a work mix example on how to set that default rate or what it should be uh, in order to achieve your, your desired customer effective labor rate. So there's no charge for this. Uh, if you're interested, all you need to do is, is let me know and we'll get it out to you. Um, and there's the information for that. And with that, I hope, uh, I hope very quickly, a very brief period of time there, I've covered some items to get the thought processes going, to get you refocused again, and, and feel free to reach out to me and, you know, give me 24, 48 hours maybe to respond. But feel free to reach out to me. There's my contact information. I'll be glad to assist you um, if I can and uh, or maybe answer some questions in regard to this um, information I presented to you today because I know it was a lot in a short period of time. Maybe I can clear up some things for you. With that, thank you for being part of this. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your interest. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you in the future. Have a great day. Thanks, Don. That was great and more than a bit challenging. I don't know about the rest of you, but I feel a little bit overwhelmed. In a short period of time, Don has outlined some ambitious tasks and objectives. But don't be discouraged. If you take each of Don's 10 opportunities one at a time, especially where you see the greatest benefit, you can make a real difference in 2017 and perhaps even add as much as $50,000 in gross profit per technician. Now, please do ask what Don has questions. So we're going to take down his uh, email in just a second, but take that down. Make sure you get back to him and he will, he will respond. Now, we do have one more opportunity. For a limited time and for a limited number of you, Don is offering to perform a mini coaching session by phone of your service operations. Totally free of charge, but again, only a limited number, first come, first serve. The coaching session will involve a detailed phone interview focused on the opportunities featured in this workshop. With some specific information about your dealership, John will, Don will then prepare his recommendations on how you can realize the opportunities identified. He invites you to take advantage as long as his time allows. So if interested, we urge you to contact me or Don as soon as possible so we can schedule the phone interview. Again, no risk and no obligation. But if I were you, I wouldn't wait. Lock in your spot today. Thanks again for joining us. And please watch for more Dealer's Edge workshops coming your way soon. In fact, maybe you would be interested in Rob Campbell's presentation on November 10th, entitled Business Math for Service Managers. 
This program will feature a wide array of financial and operational performance ratios, including how to calculate and use them to your benefit. We will be sending you email reminders as the date draws closer, so please watch for them. And thanks again for joining us today, and maybe we'll see you again on November 10th.